The year is 1971. Life is groovy, baby. Bad means good. A gallon of gas costs 40 cents. Apollo 14 brings back 90 pounds of moon rocks. And the paper planogram rules retail. It's an out-of-sight idea in merchandising. After 50 years in the workplace, it's time for the paper planogram to split the scene and retire. One door is here with the cloud-based digital planogram. It's dynamic technology for the new frontier in merchandising. Learn more at OneDoor.com. Peace out. Hello, Retail Rundown listeners. I'm Kate Trotter, the Head of Trends at Insider Trends, and I'm your guest host for this week. Joining me today is Sydney Tetro. Sydney is the CEO of Brandless, one of the world's fastest growing omni-channel commerce platforms, offering, like its name suggests, Brandless DTC consumer goods. Brandless recently announced a $118 million funding round, one of the largest funding rounds led by a female CEO. This will help the company expand its platform to focus on creating an online influencer community and inquiring like-minded, better-for-you companies to help grow and support it. I am so excited to be talking to you today, Sydney. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. I'm super excited to be here. And can I say, I love your title, Head of Trends. And that's everyone should have a title like that. <laughs> yeah, it sets a lot of expectations that, but yes, it's pretty good. It sounds like an awful lot. I have a crystal ball, I think. I think yes. that's awesome. <laughs> good. Glad to make a good impression. So it's always a good place to start to get a quick overview or get your take on what Brandless is all about. So how do you describe your brand without a brand? So kind of a couple of things. That's a great question. We absolutely do think of Brandless as a brand, unapologetically a brand, but we think of it in this category of how do you brand less and live more, which really goes to the mission of the company, which is around how do you help people live their best lives possible and have a great and a good impact on their families and their community and the planet and bring that community together that is really mission-driven on creating better for you. And so Brandless is all about that mission, all about better for you, cross-category, and doing so in a really transformative way that helps every individual person be a force for good. Mm, I feel inspired by that, definitely. How's the year been so far since you joined? What have you been working on? Question is, what haven't we been working on? um, (laughs) You know, it has been an amazing year. And you come off of a year like we've had over the last year where we've had the pandemic. And it has been extremely hard for everyone over the last year. And then when you look at the opportunity that we've had at Brandless to really focus on how do you help people? How do you become a force for good? And then how do you accelerate what the impact of that mission could be? in as fast as way possible. Since I came in, you know, end of December, the fact that we've been able to focus so tightly and then drive execution and elevate the impact that that platform can have is really pretty remarkable. And that's what's made what we're doing both so fun and meaningful. In my DNA, I really love 
like speed. Like I think a lot about how do you make impact fast? You might not have to be perfect at everything, but how do you become a force for good at a very individual level? And then the impact that you have on the world and the fact that we're doing that at Brandless also in the product world and in the impact that we can have as we build technology and bring like-minded brands together and that we're executing solidly on that strategy. That's been a really rewarding part of what's happened so far this year. Can you give me any more of a, maybe a practical understanding of what you've been doing? I'm getting some clues about this, but I don't know if there's any more detail you can give me there. Yeah, for sure. Maybe a little bit of the history of Brandless also helps. And then I can kind of punctuate those accelerations that we've created this year. The company started originally in 2017 and was really on this focus of validating the mission-driven brand and the impact that you could have. And that was really validated in that ecosystem. They built a community of millions of people that are a really big active part of that. And that was really validated in the early days. And about a year ago, um, as COVID was hitting and all sorts of other variables came about, capital equity firm had an opportunity to pick up Brandless called Carl Clark Capital. Mm. And they're based here in Salt Lake City. And they saw the opportunity. They are consumer product goods guys. They've taken many companies from millions to billions and then into their next opportunities. And they saw all of that validation that had happened with Brandless. And so they acquired Brandless and they moved it to what in Utah we call our tech ecosystem, Silicon Slopes. So they moved it here in this ecosystem. And then when I came in, we saw this opportunity to take what was that core mission of how do you really democratize access to better for you products and accelerate that with two aspects. So for us, that meant how do you take this core platform that's been validated and do a couple of things, bring together like-minded brands that are mission-driven, that we can really accelerate impact for. All of us, every individual person is trying to make an impact in the world. And we saw an opportunity to bring those like-minded brands together. And then second, invest in technology that helps us scale and grow that mission even faster. So we layer that onto what was already the core, better for you products in the DTC space, and then create that omni-channel approach for all of those. So when you think about the acceleration that's happened this year, as you mentioned in your intro, we raised a big round of capital. It's helping fuel those two things. How do we acquire those like-minded brands so that we build this platform that just creates impact at a much faster and scalable way? And then how do we invest in the infrastructure and technology that really does that? Because the other thing we think that's happening in the consumer space is this really big shift to individuals becoming the platform. And individuals being a force for good in all aspects of their life, including the things that they use. And so as we look at this disruption happening in commerce, this ability to have a platform that is all mission-driven and then invest in technology that helps the individual also demonstrate how they're mission-driven and bring that ecosystem together have really been our focuses this year so far. Congratulations on the funding, by the way. That's amazing. And obviously, a lot has been written about Brandless's latest funding round being one of the highest rounds led by a female CEO. Can you tell us a bit about that, how you have interpreted that, whether you feel like a female CEO, maybe? Yeah. Has that changed your experience of raising this money or maybe Brandless's experience? So what's really cool is, you know, we were just talking a little bit about this, the amount of speed under which we've been able to execute 
and drive is really remarkable. It's a really fun place to be in the company that we're building. I'm going to give you a little bit of perspective on kind of funding. So, you know, I come out of technology, I built my entire career in tech, and I've raised capital for a number of companies over the years. And I was reflecting on this whole question around, you know, being a female and raising capital because a couple of things are true. Raising money is always hard. I think that's just universally true no matter who you are. But over the years, we also know that when you raise as a female entrepreneur, that your stats are just significantly less. Like you have the traditionally, it has been that you have less than half of the same amount of success than maybe your male counterparts have had. And I was thinking about this in a capital raise that I was doing about seven years ago. And I raised capital for it. But I remember going into that and knowing all of the barriers that existed and how many meetings I would have to do. And I've often thought that the complexities that happened when I was raising capital then versus what has happened this year were really remarkably different, which tells us a lot of great things about the changes that are happening. You know, me personally, it's really cool to break a barrier, but it's even more cool that that barrier will be broken more and more at a more aggressive rate mm. because the dynamic that it's changed over the last seven years is palpable. You can tell that the markets are changing and that while you've got a dynamic that a lot of capital is flowing, and we've never seen so many transactions that have existed, whether it's in consumer products or in the venture world or in technology. So that's already true. But there is a, a notable difference as a female leader and as a CEO and someone raising capital between what that experience looked like seven years ago and what it looks like today. And that's cool. And that, I think, has maybe been my biggest insight in the round that we've raised. And of course, when you raise money, the other thing that everyone should be thinking about is there's always a great team of people around that. You have to have great teams of people that are working with you and share that passion and vision so that you can make great things happen. But the markets are different. And that's cool because it means mm. that I won't just be the first. There will be many more to follow and I will be cheering every one of them on. Amazing. You broke new ground, which is impressive. But the more important thing, especially for a business with a mission, is that other people can come up as well that is changing things on a much bigger scale. So that's really great to hear. Can you tell me a bit more about the change between brandless Mark 1 and what I'm now thinking of as brandless Mark 2? You probably refer to this differently internally, but what were the major learnings from Mark 1 that have now been applied to Mark 2? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of my observations, you know, and obviously I wasn't there, but Things that were really powerful about Brandless in the very beginning is the strong validation that was created around building a community, around being mission-driven, and about this idea that you can brand less and live more. You can take the frills out of the brand and create this mission-driven approach, which creates a stronger ability to democratize access to great products. And that was really core to the mission of Brandless. And that validation was really proven by millions of customers, a super active community, and a worldwide presence of the brand You know, around everywhere. I mean, billions of eyes that had visibility into Brandless and millions of people that became customers. That's a really impressive platform. Now, of course, when you build companies, you are always pivoting, you're always learning, and you're always moving forward. So we looked at it as there is an amazing amount of value in what was created in Brandless and the things that I just described. 
And that with the experience that we have, we can add this acceleration into driving acquisitions into this mission so that our reach can be greater and infusing a technology platform into that so that we can help individuals also become that platform and force for good that they're looking for. And so the the really demonstrable difference between the two is that they're still based on the same mission and vision platform, but we've really expanded where we think that mission can go. We think about it in an omni-channel way, and then we think about it with those two other accelerants. The greatest way you make impact in the world is by increasing your reach as fast as you possibly can and bringing great things together. And so we are on a mission to do that too. Wow. (laughs) There's so many questions I could ask you off the back of this. It's interesting that you're talking about omnichannel because I know Brandless has dabbled in physical retail. Is that something you're still thinking about or is your definition of omnichannel something else that doesn't involve physical retail at this point? That's a really great question. So the way that we think about the architecture of omnichannel is we think digitally native first and then expansions into channels so that you can provide accessibility uniformly, including into retail channels. But we think first and foremost about those like-minded brands as digitally native. And we do that for a couple of reasons. Super important to know your customers and to build community. And so you have to know who they are to do that. You have to be able to use them in your curation of great products and the mission that you're going after. And so for us, making sure that we're grounded, which are the roots of brandless also. We have to make sure we know those customers. Now, you do want accessibility. You want people to have access to great products in whatever channel is the place that they need to find you. And they find you in many places. They find you on direct-to-consumer sites. They find you in Amazon. They find you in retail presence. And they even find you in individual people's platforms where people are talking about products that they use. So you want your product accessible in each one of those. So that's our evolution of what it means to be omnichannel. Digitally native first anchor and then expansion into all of those. Brilliant. Yeah, it's also fascinating to hear you talk about community. So can you tell me a bit more about that and maybe how that looks from a customer perspective, like how I would feel if I joined? Is it a brand community or? Yeah, community really anchors, I think, on a number of levels. So in the product innovation side, we bring our community a lot in both product curation and validation. Because the thing that you have to do when you're building great products and you're mission-driven is make sure that they're products and things that people care about and that they are meeting their individual needs. So we focus products in certain categories, things like wellness and really thinking about wellness within reach. We think about clean beauty and accessible clean beauty across the board. We think about things like non-toxic cleaning. And so we have these categories where we become really focused. And so in curation, we focus in communities on those so they get early access to products. They provide us feedback. They help us understand and help us kind of really co-create those roadmaps so that we are meeting the needs. So for us, community is infused at every aspect of the company from that product innovation side. And then we've even layered into product innovation from our operational side, this ability to be fast and to be able to be agile. I come out of tech and software development. So I always think about agility and this ability to test and optimize. So that's even part of our ecosystem. We come up with ideas we're like, we're going to be, we're going to do that in a very testing way. We're going to create 200 units of that product. We're going to see what the consumers and our community say. 
And then we're going to decide how we evolve from that. So that is a big part. And that's on like the forward side of the, or the beginning side of curation. And then other things that we've done is we've spent a bunch of effort to build out our technology commerce platform. And the reason that we're doing that is because it's community activation. This is ability to allow those people who are part of our community to be able to talk about what we're doing, to be able to be involved in the conversations, to lead conversations for us, and for that to come back into the company in all aspects. So we think of community at every stage, innovation, all of the way to ultimately activation and conversion. That's brilliant. I've talked for a long time about brands in dialogue. <laughs> how brands now have all these tools Mm. to ask customers what they want. And still, I see a lot of brands just broadcasting their message through all their channels. And so it's so nice to hear about this idea of co-creation. It just makes so much sense. That's a really good description, right? Brands in dialogue. In the tech ecosystem, we learned that this idea of product validation, where at every step, you have to engage your customer and you have to know why they would buy. We created these terms like, what is their buy as is? What would their buy could be if? Like We created an entire ecosystem to understand why people would buy, why they wouldn't buy, and the business model around it. And that is also true in consumer. You have to engage them in these dialogues because ultimately success of the business is meeting customer needs. And the better that you can do that, the more strong you can create the opportunity. And for us being mission-driven, the force for good. Being a force for good, you must have collaboration and community. And we strongly believe that acceleration comes also through sophistication and technology ecosystems for that. I was just wondering, the insights that you're gathering from this product curation, co-creation process, are you sharing this with the brands that you're working with or do you keep those internally to develop your own next set of products? Infused in the operations of the company is absolutely collaboration. So we think very strongly as this ecosystem of brands are coming together, you have to lift all. You have to be able to share that because that's how impact is created. If you leave them in silos, then you never actually get your mission. So we think very strongly about how are these insights and then how are we infusing them back? It kind of reminds me or makes me think about some of the the tech platform side that we're investing in because when we talk about influencers or individuals as a force for good, we don't think about them as only people who have really big spheres of influence. Really believe that every individual person, whether you have 10 people in your social world or you have millions, it doesn't actually matter. You are a critical part of us gaining insight and being able to help activate in whichever way makes sense for them. We're trying to infuse that sense of collaboration and transparency and insight at all stages. And it's interesting to hear you use the word influence in that because I saw the word influence or the phrase influence as a service mentioned in an article or maybe in a press release. Can you tell me more about that? That phrase just intrigued me. Yes. So you absolutely saw that correctly. This idea that you know influence as a service, because what we see happening, and I think I can tell that you've also thought deeply about this from the dialogues with your customer. 
the world is transforming where the individual is now the platform. Um, and we're seeing this with market changes that have happened in Facebook, that have happened in Instagram, that have happened in all the social platforms where it's pushing us in an accelerated way that individuals are really the platform. And what that means is that we have to enable them to be the platform even in the commerce space and give them the tools that allow them to be successful. So for us, influence as a service is this entire concept around the opportunity that they have to be able to use whatever their circle of influence is, doesn't matter how small or how large, and really be participate in the things and then the products that they're promoting to other individuals. And so it changes this entire dynamic where they as an individual, as a creator, as a content producer, become the platform. That's so refreshing to hear as well. We talk about customers being brand activists and basically, as you're saying, completing the brand and amplifying messages. So it's just so exciting to be talking to someone who wholeheartedly believes in that and the power that's there. Can you tell me more about how Brandlist will become a social commerce aggregator? This is a great question. In context of what we were just talking about, we'll explore that direction. Everyone has different social channels, right? Every individual that we know, they have different ways that they create influence in their social spheres. And for some people, that's Instagram. For some people, it's TikTok. For some people, it's Facebook. And for some people, it's probably in person, you know, when I'm watching like the soccer game or when I'm a social activity, they're all just different. And then what you think about, and if you step back for a moment, you can imagine all of the different, what we in the industry would coin as like commerce conversations that are happening in these individual ecosystems. And so when we think about this ability tied back to influencers as a service for what's happening in the social commerce space, we believe that there is a very important transformation that's happening, that you have to enable each one of those people to own the platform of things they care about and be a voice for the things that they're sharing and also be able to participate as a value in that ecosystem because they're ultimately your marketing channel. They're ultimately helping people understand the value that you create and they're sharing that with their community and that's bringing them back into great products. And so for us, that social commerce side and that aggregation side is about enabling them with the tools where they're doing that. They're exposing and talking in their communities about things that matter. They're sharing it with them and then they're participating in it. And they're just basically creating recommendations for products that they believe in. And I'm wondering, I'm not actually a very technical person, but it also was interesting when you were saying that you've been investing in your tech, you've evolved that. I wondered how is that supporting your social commerce and your influence as a service and all the other things you're doing? Can you explain it to me as a more of a layman? <laughs> yep, please. Absolutely. You know, you. so like, you know, as an individual, you think about every day, if you're like me, you're recommending products that you love. Like you're always in these conversations. Like, I totally love this product. I was totally, you know, using it. And I have a bunch of sisters and sisters-in-laws and we're in these conversations all the time. We're sharing things all the time. And every individual person that I know does this. And so the technology is aligned with that. So let's say, you know, we're in a conversation, there's things that you love for the very simplistic terms. You can basically create a link to the things that you love. And when you share it in no matter what format, doesn't matter if it's an email, you're like, Hey, this was the thing that we were talking about. Check it out. Or if it were in your social, you know, in your, in your, like an Instagram, right? You've got your profile where you put links in. Ultimately, those links are linked to an entire technology infrastructure behind them that helps understand 
which products that you're recommending are people loving and buying and then provide basically an incentive back to you. I was also recently, I've learned a little bit about headless architecture. And I just also wondered with your Mm -hmm. omni-channel vision or all the work you're doing there, is your setup a headless one or can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. From an architecture perspective, it is in a headless ecosystem. And it's got lots of components that are built into that. So one of the cool things about the kind of architecture platform that we're building is our team has a lot of experience in building from both the social aspect and then the technical architecture so that you can both understand what people are doing you can give them the tools that you need, and then you can really help them get value from the ecosystems that they're creating. So you can imagine lots of integrations in, really strong platform that's building that out, and then the ability for them to have real-time analytics about what is happening with the activities that they're taking, if that's of interest to them. Well, it sounds like you could draw out a lot of different insights and KPIs from this, uh, from Mm -hmm. your system. But it's always nice to ask people, if I gave you the difficult task of choosing only one, what is the one and only KPI that you would use to measure the success of Brandless? I always think about one of the, I mean, there's always the business metrics, right? But I'm actually going to answer this question from the perspective of like the customer and the community. The thing that you most care about is what your amplification effect is or your viral coefficient. Like, because that informs you that the things that you're doing, people care about and that other people care about also. And so that becomes really one of the key metrics that allows you to understand impact. Brilliant. Yep. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And it looks with everything you're doing. And just thinking about all the people listening to this, it would be great to hear some practical tips that you have. I don't know if there are any, they're not exactly common mistakes that you see people make, but are there any factors that you think are disproportionately important that other businesses tend to overlook? What advice would you give to digital first businesses out there? That's a really great question. So I'll tell you where my mind went when you asked that question. It went to this place of, you know, when you build digitally first brands, there's kind of two paths they typically end up. And ultimately, the thing that makes brands successful is knowing customers, right? So you have to know your customer, you have to care passionately about them, and you have to be able to rapidly and agilely adapt to their needs. So when you're building a company and a brand, you have to know your customer. And um, I can't think of anything that's of utmost important, but I would also add to that your this speed and agility metric, because oftentimes people will spend so much time in maybe a theory place of trying to predict what they need or talking to them. And ultimately, the faster that you can get to understanding if people will actually give you money for what you're building, the faster you'll understand your business. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the risk you're always trying to decrease. Because if you have to, when you create a brand, do things where like, I've talked to a bunch of people and they said they buy them. And now I have to go make 5,000 or 10,000 or 50,000 of those becomes very complicated to get your conversion and to know that you did everything right. So you want to build into your DNA, this ability from day one to test. Be like, okay, I can build smaller quantities. I can actually see if I can get people's money. I can build community and then I can expand from there. Totally. And it's interesting what you're talking about, about specifically caring about customers. Everyone's talking about that. Do you think 
the retail industry really does care enough? I think that's the reason you've seen this digitally native space explode. Because when you think about each channel, they all have data-driven models that create their success, right? The, the way that you build out a channel on Amazon is different than how you built out brick and mortar, and it's different than how you build out DTC. The explosion that's happened on DTC is because it's the place where you own the customer. It's the place where you can get their insights and then you can create transformation. And that's why the other channels are struggling and you they're not struggling, but that's why you see them try to figure this out, right? Because they have to find a way to know your customer. Every brand wants to know their customers. But if the economic ecosystem I created was primarily in brick and mortar, then I designed products for brick and mortar. And those don't necessarily translate 100% to a DTC community. So you have to get really smart about what works in what channel and then create relationships so that as you look at expanding to the other channels, you know how to leverage them to build those brands. That's why the evolution is happening right now. That's why disruption is happening in products. And with that in mind, can you see brandless being in bricks and mortar spaces again? Or is that something you're not thinking about at the moment? No, we absolutely can. As part of that omni-channel strategy, we think it's super important to know your customers, validate your product through that digitally native. Creating expansion into retail makes perfect sense as you do that because it's helping you democratize access. Because people get access to products in many ways. And there are, you know, you think about all the different products that you buy there are many products that retail brick and mortar is absolutely the right channel for, for all of the economics behind it. And so you need those partnerships. You need the place where people find stuff, but we believe that we have to anchor first in making sure we build stuff that's driven from that community and then expand channels. I think we're running out of time actually, but um, just to wrap up, I'll give you a very easy question. Um, After 18 months of uncertainty, can you summarize your outlook for the whole of the retail industry? I said it would be easy in one or two snappy sentences for us. Okay. That's a good challenge. We are at a moment of really unprecedented transformation. The world is now digital first and we make decisions from that digitally native space. In retail, that is now the way that we have to build relationships with customers That's the outlook for us. We have to build relationships for customers and this transformation that the individual person is the platform and they're trying to do better every day with the things that they buy, the things that they invest in and who they are is the world that we now live in. And it's all of our job to support that because the impact is great for the world when we do good things. Amazing. Sydney, you did not disappoint. So thank you very much for spending this time with me and sharing all your fantastic insights. And I'm so excited to see where Brandless goes next. Thank you. It was so great to spend time with you. I appreciate the questions and the dialogue and the insights that you also shared with me. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.